0: This is Savern on Steelers. On ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. you get out? i I'm coming, I'm in that. I'm in the lack of breath. I'm in the lack of breath. It was my idea to just keep coming. Just constant, constant pressure. I'm gonna keep pounding on you. I guess I played with a little anger too. I'm to push me. That is the late Dwight White, and he is one of our two Hall of Honor candidates we're going to be discussing today. What a tragic loss, of Dwight. Died just a few years ago, complications from a back surgery that he was having. I had a special affinity for Dwight White. We'll talk about his playing. But I had a special relationship with him, and I stopped short of calling it friendship, but we were very friendly. And back in those days... It was easier to do. The difference between media and teams back then was less adversarial, it seems to me, than it is now. And, you know, there weren't, so, there weren't blogs, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, it was a very small press corps, basically. And so there wasn't a big crowd in the locker room. Now it's like the second biggest crowd at Heinz Field is a practice as opposed to what you might see at a game. So there would be time to go in there and sit down and talk to guys. And the other factor was, at that point in my life, I was the same age they were. It wasn't like now I walk in, who's that old guy stumbling in? I was the same age as they were. And I remember many, many a time that I would sit down at White White's locker, even if I wasn't going to interview him on tape or anything, just sit there and we'd talk about things. And if we'd share a cigarette, we didn't share, we, but we were both smokers at that time. And this may interest you, at the in the Steelers' locker room at Three River Stadium, there were ashtrays in each player's locker. And I won't tell you which players smoked, but there were several. 1977, 6, 7, 8, you know, different then. And I always maintained that relationship with him. And I don't think that Dwight White got his just due, and and primarily because he played on the same line as Joe Green and L.C. Greenwood. And they were, of the steel curtain, they, they were the biggest stars. The front four. I mean, Fats Holmes, that's one of the things that kind of kept him up at night, that he saw the kind of impact that Joe Green was having and, frankly, the kind of money that they were paying Joe Green, L.C. Greenwood, maybe Dwight White to a lesser degree. And it always bothered him. George Pearls, the defensive line coach, told me years later that was always a big thing with Ernie. Ernie straightened out his life, and he, too, is no longer with us. Unfortunately, it's interesting that the Steel Curtain, the only one remaining, is Joe Green. Even Steve Furness passed away. Now, John Banzack is still very much alive. I see John now and again, but of the original front four of the Steel Curtain, Joe Green's the only one left. And it might be that Dwight did not get the attention that he deserved. The funny thing about him is he did have a streak in him. I think everybody who plays in the NFL, certainly that position, has to. But he also played with a great and boundless joy. Maybe you remember he recovered a fumble once or intercepted a pass and ran it back a few yards, and after he was tackled, he did his best imitation of Billy White Shoes Johnson. I mean, I can still see that, you know, knocking his legs together. And and, and he had a big smile on his face. I mean, he, he, he enjoyed what he was doing. And he had a huge personality. Really wore his emotions on his sleeve. And he was a hell of a player and a great pass rusher. And, of course, a lot of the schemes were – set up for Elsie Greenwood rushing the passer and Joe Green. But Dwight did his fair share, too, and part of Steeler lore, and it's a true story, it's not embellished. The week before Super Bowl Nine, down in New Orleans, Dwight White spent the night before in a hospital. The virus, the flu, he was dehydrated. And then he came out and played at Tulane Stadium that day and helped the defense just stuff Frank Tarkin and the Vikings. Came out of a sickbed the day of the game in the hospital and played. Maybe the most underrated. Everybody knows Fats Holmes was you know, very good and tough, but everybody knows Fat Holmes for some of the other things he did. But I always felt like Dwight White was a tremendous player, who just was overshadowed either in personality or in playing deed by the others. Clearly a worthy addition to the Steelers' Hall of Honor. And I'll just preface further remarks by anyone who's nominated for the Steelers' Hall of Honor is deserving. It's just a matter of how many we can put in on a yearly basis, and everybody will get their just due, just a matter of when. Bill Cowher, I will tell you, without laying bare any secrets of the committee, came very close to being so honored last year. I think the consensus was they wanted to honor Bill Nunn and they wanted to honor Art Rooney, Jr., Dan's brother and scouting guru, and... Um, while he was still with us. And I think the consensus was that three non-players in one year might be a little bit too much. It's not a matter about being deserving. And Bill Coward, I mean, he not only took the team to two Super Bowls and and won one of them, is that I always felt like Bill reinvigorated Steeler football. The last few years of Chuck Knowles' regime were not successful. They made the playoffs in '89, but they were a very average football team to make the playoffs in '89. Had a nice little run, but '90, 90, '91, they were below 500. Or they weren't playoff teams, and they'd gotten old. They got old in the early to mid '80s, but there was a drought. I mean, they didn't make the playoffs 86 through 88. They made it in 89. Five of Chuck's last six years, they didn't make the playoffs. Cower came in at the age of 35. And more than the fact that he won his first, I think, six games, was it, in 92, made the playoffs. But I think he reinvigorated Steeler football. I think that he excited the players who were held over from the Chuck Knoll era and really began to preach an aggressive, in-your-face style of football. Not just defensively, offensively too. He was a big believer in pounding it out. And he didn't inherit a Terry Bradshaw as his quarterback. But he believed in the ground game. He believed in defense and toughing it out. And his teams played like it. I also marveled at the maturity of Bill Cower, not necessarily as a coach, but as a man. He came here as the youngest coach in the NFL. Tomlin actually came in here younger. But Bill had that, you know, that crafting, that jaw, the spit, you know. <laughs> uh, his dealings with the media initially were very combative, confrontational. And I don't know that he began to like the media any better, but he understood that he had to tolerate them, and he did. He did. And I thought that was part of his evolving as a person and as a head coach. Should Bill Cowher be in the Hall of Honor? Absolutely. Probably deserves a spot in Canton as well. Tomorrow we'll talk to a guy who occupies a spot in both halls, Franco Harris, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Franco Harris, member of the Steelers Hall of Honor. Be talking to Franco tomorrow at 1 p.m.